Welcome to Radio Free Utopia, the podcast about LGBTI human rights. I'm your host, Ian Likas, and I'll be your guide to the creative, urgent work taking place all around the world to make our communities more welcoming for LGBTI people. Here on Radio Freak Utopia, we want to boost the signal for those activists and other changemakers working for LGBTI rights and in the places you might not expect. Today, we will be speaking with Andrea Ayala from El Salvador. Andrea is the executive director of ESMULES, Espacio de Mujeres Lesbianas Salvadoreñas por la Diversidad, roughly Salvador and Lesbian Space for Diversity. Now, I'm recording this in early July, right at the end of Pride Month. This June, like each June for the last few decades, Hundreds of thousands of LGBTI people and their allies marched in New York and San Francisco, in Sao Paulo and Toronto, and in countless cities all around the globe. In Madrid, more than a million people watched this year's World Pride event. Now, as many Radio Freak Utopia listeners will know, June is Pride Month in recognition of the June 1969 Stonewall Rebellion in New York City. One night in late June, 48 years ago, the New York City Police Department launched yet one more raid of a gay bar. But that night, June 27th, for reasons we still don't really understand, uh, the patrons of the Stonewall Inn fought back, starting three nights of rioting and launching a new era in the struggle for LGBTI liberation. Many of those standing up to the police were African-American and Latino drag queens and street hustlers, groups especially prone to police harassment. Now, flash forward almost half a century, and at least in some places, it's easy to forget the details of how this key moment in LGBTI history unfolded, and to take for granted how LGBTI people, in some places, can exercise their fundamental human rights to freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. Here in the United States, this past June, some LGBTI people criticized the emerging No Justice, No Pride movement. No Justice, No Pride disrupted Pride events in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Minneapolis, Columbus, and other cities uh, in order to bring attention to police harassment uh, of LGBTI people of color, as well as to other concerns. The fraught relationship between LGBTI people, Pride events, and the police is a global one, whether it's No Justice, No Pride, whether it's Pride police separating LGBTI pride participants and their allies and counter-protesters in the Balkans, or the same weekend this June, just a couple weeks ago, uh, as New York and San Francisco pride, uh, Turkish police firing rubber bullets and tear gas at participants in Istanbul pride the day after Turkish authorities banned the event from taking place. The relationship between LGBTI people, between all sorts of sexual and gender minorities, and law enforcement was on my mind as I thought about my recent interview with Andrea. El Salvador regularly appears on lists of the most dangerous countries in the world, and its capital, San Salvador, has been called the murder capital of the world. Violence in El Salvador is epidemic, especially against LGBTI people and against violence against women. This violence comes from organized street gangs as well as from the police and security forces. Just this past May, Carla Avelar, a leading trans activist in El Salvador, received death threats and extortion threats from gang members who came to her house just two days after she was nominated for the leading human rights prize in the world. As recently as 2015, Salvadoran police attacked Alex Pena, another leading transgender activist, shortly after that year's Pride March, and then apparently broke into the Esmulas offices after Andrea Ayala uh, criticized those officers who had attacked Alex Pena. So with the ongoing epidemic of violence, 
functional relationships between El Salvador's LGBTI community and the country's police, indeed all of its major institutions, are all the more urgent. Perhaps it is noteworthy that on June 24th, more than 8,000 people participated in um, San Salvador's 21st annual Pride March without incident. It is certainly a reminder of the essential work that LGBTI community members are doing in the places we don't usually think about as centers of queer activism. So here is my interview with Andre Ayala, talking with me from the Esmulas office in San Salvador, discussing her own personal journey as well as her organization's work with the police and other key institutions in El Salvador. How did you get involved with uh, the LGBTI community there? Well, I'm a lesbian woman living here in El Salvador, so I faced a lot of discrimination for the last 15 years, almost all my life. So when I was really young, I started to study uh, for being a lawyer. So I, I always think uh, use this profession so I can um, I can help others, but somehow I realized that actually I need to help myself also. So. Um, always uh, the human rights, are very, I, I am very passionate about them, so uh, in 2009 we had a, uh, an attempt of a legal reform on the constitution regarding marriage equality. Mm -hmm. So that was like my debut, that was the first time I raised up the rainbow flag and I speak out in loud that I was a lesbian and, uh, and that I will work from then on in LGBT issues. Great. Uh, were you living in San Salvador already? Yes, I lived in San Salvador my whole life. Oh, okay. I spent my, my time here, so I'm proudly Salvadorian and I work here. Also, I, I have uh, a bit of international work, but mostly my work is towards the LGBT community in my country. Oh, great. Yeah, and certainly living here in Washington, D.C., we have also, you know, as you know, all sorts of El Salvadorans who go back and forth and who maintain close ties with yeah, the home country. Yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, did you, yeah, how early did you know you were a lesbian? Very early, actually. I, I, if I have to go back in time, uh, the first time I realized I liked a woman who was my kindergarten professor, teacher. She was the most prettier girl I have ever seen in my life. And I used to, to I have a coloring book. So I remember that I used to color almost the, the perfect as I can. So she can came near me and say, you know, cheer, get cheer to me, like you're doing this okay. So I was like kind of in love with my kindergarten teacher. I can't realize now that that in, back at the time I don't know what I was feeling, but I remember that I like to to have her close, and I I I I, I used to think that she is the most beautiful. Uh, person that I have ever seen. So that was the first time that I, I, I have memory of liking a girl or a woman. And then in my school, obviously, I, I get in love with my classmates sometimes. You know, when you're young, you're very passionate and you know, all this kind of drama thing. So, yes, like, I've been a lesbian, like, since the day I was born, I think I discovered Great. Yeah, and as you were growing up, you know, were there any kind of you know, just visibility for lesbians or for LGBT people more generally around you? Not really. Uh, El Salvador is a very conservative country uh, until date. So being a, being a lesbian woman here in El Salvador, is all, it has been 
very difficult because I don't have or I, I, I don't used to have a reference of a lesbian women that speak out uh, in television or in radio or even at schools or something. I never, never, never until I grew up uh, knew a lesbian woman uh, that has a voice. Uh, the, the first, and I remember a gay man that used to to talk about LGBT issues in television now and then when I was young, younger, but he, he always talk about HIV and LGBT person, so I wasn't related to that, so yes, that's it. Yeah, understood. Um, and so how did you, you know, when you mentioned before, you know, getting involved, I think you said 2009? Yes. Yeah, how did you find your way into that, you know, conversation? It was really, I don't know, the way, it was really funny, I can make fun of that now, because I was in a class, I was back then, I was uh, studying at the university, mm -hmm. so I got an email, and, and I was in class, and the email said that if you are a lesbian or gay, you want to fight for your rights, you should go to the National Assembly, because we are going to gather some LGBT people, so if you are interested, please go and speak out. So. I had like a break in my classes, so I, I, I thought, you know, I don't have anything else to do. I should probably go. So I took my car, so I went into the National Assembly, and I was there just sitting and looking around. It was the first time I was out in a, in a, in this social movement of LGBT rights. Mm -hmm. So I was like kind of impressed, getting to know people. Mm -hmm. And then, out of the sudden, someone asked for my name. What's your name? And I was, um, I'm Andrea. Okay, you are going to go inside with a, with a group. And I, why? Why me? I don't know anybody. Or uh, you, uh, It seems that you really care about this, so please come with us. So that was that. It was the first time I was involved in LGBT issues. And the first time that I get involved, I, I got to talk with the deputies in the National Assembly. It was a, a really big deal, and I was very happy to, to be there, and I really discovered that that was the kind of thing I want to do for the rest of my life. So, yes, it was kind of a, a funny way, but now, now I love the way that I get into this. Great. And where did things go from there? Well, then I, I used to volunteer for a couple of LGBT organizations that existed back in the days. But with a, a couple of friends, a lesbian friends that I, that, that I had and I have um, today, uh, we started to think that we as lesbian women, we don't have a real space or, a, or an organization that speaks for lesbian women specifically. We are always like um, in, in someone in the middle with a gay man or with trans people, so, but we don't have any lesbian visible women, so we decided to create an NGO, that, which is the NGO that I work for uh, today, and we decided to name it Space for Lesbian Women for Diversity, because that was basically the, 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 the idea that we have, that we want to create a space when lesbian and bisexual women can contribute to the LGBTI issues. And you know, how long have you been, so this organization is Es Muelas? We have seven years. Mm -hmm. so we have been working for the last seven years, and I've been the director since nine, 2011. Okay. Yes. And what kind of work have you done? 
Well, Smoothness specifically have three like most important things that we work with. The first one is uh, public policies. We are lobbyists for public policies uh, in favor of LGBT uh, rights. Also, we are, I think this is a kind of a passion that we all have here. It is the thing of uh, researches and investigation about real life issues of LGBT persons in El Salvador. So we like to do research about um, people, about their rights, about how other people perceive us in our rights. So we have, to date we have six uh, research that we have done not only in El Salvador, but in Panama and Costa Rica as well. And finally, we are like, we like to, to, to give a sensitive process to, to to public uh, workers, I mean, people that are in the government, we like to talk with them. We we used to to give like sort of workshop so they can understand what are the LGBT issues in El Salvador. Yeah. So your work tends to be more political than cultural, or to sort of you. Know, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And you get you get to work with uh, other you know El Salvadoran feminist groups, or you know with other you know, Central American. You know, LGBTI or lesbian specific groups? Yes, we work with with a feminist movement here. It has been very strong in, since the 80s. Mm -hmm. So they are very, very mature in the idea that LGBT issues is also part of the of the issues that they should work with. So we work yeah, pretty closely to them. But in a regional level in Central America, we have an alliance that we work with. We work with Costa Rica and Panama with two organizations from there. And we try, we're trying to expand our horizons and now we're working with Guatemala and Honduras as well because as you may know, we are Central American countries are very small and we, we have a very similar cultural background. So the impact that you can have with one action actually can help the countries around you. So now we are working more regional in terms of how, how to change things and minds and how, how culturally you can change the, the idea on LGBT people from Central America. Great. What have you found particularly effective in doing that kind of work? Well, um, maybe the last thing that we get to, to, to have is we managed to have a, a reform on the penal code in El Salvador. So we can now introduce a theme on hate crimes that we hadn't have any any type of law that, that said that hate crimes shouldn't happen. So in 2015, we passed a bill on hate crimes, and that was one of the most important things that we have achieved in the last seven years. Also, we helped to create an office in the executive branch of the government that attends all the LGBT issues in the social inclusion secretariat that we have. We create a, a direction of the sexual diversity. So we have to manage the ways to create public policies from police officers, from the health ministry. Now we have protocols to attend and to, to give support to LGBT people that use this kind of services. So are, by and large, the police or the healthcare professionals reasonably receptive to this? I would say like 50-50, you know, it's always people that really want to change, that really want to see you as human being, and that's important. But also a bunch of people that always are like hidden on religion, on hate, 
that we shouldn't work with them, that they shouldn't be uh, um, like pushed to work with LGBT people, that they should have the choice to, to choose if they want to work with you or not. And the issue is that actually we pay taxes, we need our health, here we have public health, so if you pay your taxes, you you have the right to get to access to public health. And this institution is the are the most um, the like the most one that LGBT people associated with discrimination. The, the the national police and the health ministry are by far the 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 institution that haven't been very friendly with LGBT community in El Salvador. So we are working with them pretty intensely. And we are we think that in the in the last years things are changing. For example, from the police officers now they are uh, they are with this idea that want they want to create a, a national public policy to have support to LGBTs victims of of crimes. So this is like very new. Is a very new perspective from the police uh, officers, and we are very happy because we think that that's happened because we are have worked very hard with the police for the past five years. And with you know clearly, you know El Salvador has an issue with violence in general and anti-LGBT violence in particular. Yes. Uh, and so, how you know, how has your work evolved with that? Well, it has been very. Yeah, very difficult because even though since 2015 we have a bill on hate crimes, till date the national attorney's officer have never used it. They have never used it in a trial. So in the past year we are like working very hard with the national attorney, the general attorney office, so they can realize that now, that now we have a specific law that protects LGBT persons in El Salvador. And it's very hard because you have to see your friends and your colleagues die because here in El Salvador, as you said, um, the the hate expresses in homicides. We don't get to get jail or call names. I mean, they murder us. So this that that's very very difficult to work with. I mean, it's impacting you in a personal level and mental level that you have to, to manage the way that you are that you're conscious that that in any moment you can be the next target or your friends can be the target of these murders. So also that create uh, a kind of a special migration to the U.S. as you say and at the beginning uh, most of our LGBT community run to to Washington D.C. because apparently it's, uh, it's friendlier for them uh, being there than in El Salvador but that's also it's a big issue because in the they don't do it in the legal way. They they took the, the the illegal immigration route, so it's very dangerous. We have colleagues that that try to get into the U.S. in an illegal way, and they we never heard from them ever. They are like kind of lost or disappeared. Others are um, suffer sexual violence in the in the meanwhile. Or, or now with this new uh, administration in, in the U.S., with the Trump administration, it's been very difficult regarding the asylum issue. Uh, in the past, uh, LGBT community has the sense that you're safe if you get to get into the U.S. and you can make your case on asylum. 
the Obama administration will grant you an, with an asylum. But now our colleagues are more afraid that they, they are not getting the asylum status because of this new administration and the way they manage the LGBT issues. I'm hoping to do some interviews here with El Salvadoran LGBT community members. You know, the community here in D.C. dates back to the early 80s in particular yeah. with you know, people leaving during the beginning of the El Salvadoran Civil War. Um, yeah. What would be important for people to know about the work that is done you know, in light, you know, sort of with the resilience, given that there is a real threat of violence, you know, and clearly not only t targeting LGBT El Salvadorans, but, you know, especially, and perhaps especially trans uh, El Salvadorans, um, what would be most important for people who don't know much about El Salvador to know? I think that it's important to know that even though El Salvador is a very violent country, we have a, a murder rate very high. We have around 13 mur murders per day in El Salvador, which is pretty, pretty high. But that's only not the social violence that we are that we have to face. But it's also a very targeted violence based on hate towards LGBT people. And as as a trans women are the most like exposed in on street because they have to re to to realize sex uh, work or or that kind of stuff, or they have to work with the gangs, which is a very big theme here. Uh, they are more, more exposed, so that's why they are the, the most targeted part of the, the, the LGBT people here in El Salvador. But there's also a, a, a very targeted violence towards women, like lesbian women and bisexual women. Because if, for example, if you don't want to be the girlfriend of a, mem a gang member, they just simply kill you. That's it. They don't negotiate with you. So that's one thing no one is talking about. It is very, very, very important to, to start to mention because behind all these uh, women that get killed by the gangs, most of them are lesbian or bisexual women that, be, that because of their sexual orientation, they get killed by gangs or they get killed by uh, their own families because they want to correct you. They want to cure you because you are ill. So that's 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 another very big issue. How has you know the challenges that you're describing uh, sort of created you know sort of new institutions, you know, new ways for LGBT Salvadorans to come together, you know, to change things. I like to think that the LGBT movement in El Salvador is now more mature that we manage the way to stay together so can, we can be stronger and we have to learn that just from experience and in the last I think two years the LGBT movement are, is very solid and most because of the trans organization and lesbian organization are getting together and as women of the diversity we are speaking out and taking really serious all the the all the laws that we can enforce here, or international laws that that we can enforce, so we can so we can live like kind of better, or simply our human rights are respected. But I think 
it's a matter of, of time that, that we have learned how to deal with these issues that are really, really serious and dangerous. What do you think has been sort of some of the great, you mentioned some of the victories already before. Um, what other, you know, tactics or approaches do you think have been most effective for, you know, for your organization and for the community there? I think always one of the best tactics is being out of the closet. Mm -hmm. I think that, as Harvey Milk used to say, we have to get out of the closet so they know they have neighbors and they have cousins and they have brothers and sisters that are LGBT. So in the, in the recent years, we are very... We have been working very hard so we can give a really good support to the people that want to come out from the closet. So once you're out, we are we are more visible and always the visibility is better for us in terms that they know that we are not alone or a bunch of five crazy people doing or chanting things around buildings. That we are a community, that we are together, that we recognize us as citizens of this country. So that that the, the, the strategy the strategy that that Harvey Mead told us that go, coming out of the closet and be visible is still the best that we can do in in, in country like ours when where being an LGBT person is so difficult. So you don't feel alone. You recognize your other equal. You recognize that you are that you have rights, and you recognize yourself as a human being. That's important. Where have you found some unexpected allies? Some unexpected. Just this morning, I was in an interview with um, a pastor from a church, a Baptist church uh, from El Salvador. He is very important, very big here. And being a religious leader in El Salvador, in a country that all society consider itself as very conservative, that that important leader from a religious um, part of the society decides to visibilize the LGBT issues, the discrimination that we face, and the need to be equal and to be treated equal, that's very important. So I have renewal faith on the on the pastors and, and priests. So that's very unexpected that 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 someone from from a religious part of the society opens the door to talk very responsible and very serious about LGBT issues. Great. Um, you know, when we were chatting before the interview, one of the things that you said that you were most, sort of particularly interested in you know, was sort of supporting uh, older LGBT El Salvadorans. How is that work playing out? What are the needs? Yes. Well, since uh, three years ago, we started a project with Germany, with a German cooperation. Um, to work with LGBT elderly people. We used to, or we tend to think that we are never going to grow old and that we'll be young yeah. forever, but that's not the truth. And we have gray hairs that, that tell us that. So we start to think, where are we going to do or what are we going to do once we get older? We cannot be keeping this rhythm forever, even if we want to. So we start to think about that that period of your life, what's to be an elderly LGBT people in El Salvador. So the first thing that we do was to uh, do a research on elderly people that we did that we did in Costa Rica again, Panama and El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And the numbers that we got was very, very harsh to to, to assimilate. 
For example, an elderly people, LGBT people in El Salvador, we don't have where to go. I mean, you know, as, as a Latin America, your elders stay with you and your family at your home. We don't send them to any place to, so they take care of your older members of your family. But the thing here is if you want to go to a foster place for elder people, you can't be allowed to be there because you are LGBT. All the all this the the places that we interview, asking them if they allowed an LGBT openly LGBT person to be part of the of the services, they say that they wouldn't attend them, that they wouldn't give any sort of services if you are LGBT. And if you want to live there in any home or something for elder people, you have to stop being gay or to stop being lesbian or stop being trans if you want to get their services. So it's a very harsh reality for elder people um, to know that you don't have really a place to go because in a place like El Salvador and Leo, if you are elder in El Salvador in 2010, probably you were young like in the 70s or in the 80s. So you don't get to marry, so you don't have children, and even if you have, you probably you don't you don't ever talk to them about your sexuality. So other thing that we discovered with that research is that if lesbian uh, women or gay men had children, that children's they push their dads or moms to get back into the closet in order for them to take care of them. So you have again you have to stop being gay if you want to live with us in our home with my with your grandchildren. And you have to start being lesbian if you want to live with us, if, or if you want any economic support. So it's a very hard um, reality that elder people face, not only here in El Salvador, but specifically in this country, when when you don't have anywhere to go because we are not prepared as LGBT organizations to take care of our older people also. So. Uh, and also the the life expectation of trans people, we were like really amazed on that number because we discovered that the uh, the life expectation for a trans women in Latin America is around 35 years old. So that's amazing. I mean, if you are 36, you are you are a, like a champion, like a hero because you survived. So it's very hard to hear that. Trans women in El Salvador only get to live 35 years, and that's it. Then they get killed, they die because of the way that they have to live, etc. So I think that we, as, uh, as the youngest in, or the newest in this LGBT movement, we have to, to think or know this LGBT person that now they are older than us and they help us to be where we are. Because most of the, our leaders now, they are getting older and we have to make sure that they have places where to stay safe, where to get love, where to are together and be in their cell forever. They don't have to get back into a closet. If, if they manage to get out of them there, please stay out, don't go uh, around and, and go back to the closet. I mean, so... It's very interesting when you talk about elder people and in and, and, and also questions you will regard what are you going to do when you get that old. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Are are you are you able to so are you primarily working to change existing institutions? I mean, I guess if most you know, or to sort of create new resources specifically for 
older LGBT El Salvadorans? Yes, in the last year we started like the second phase of this project and this is most to create awareness in all these places that work with LGBT elderly people. So we inform them, we have created a whole guide how to, to care on LGBT elder people. We have cine forums that we uh, portrayed uh, LGBT movies with elder people and their reality documentals and we are working with some uh, offices from the government so the national institutions that work with elder people have this lgbtq friendly perspective so we're trying to change also national public policy towards lgbtiq elder people right. what else i mean what else should we know about your own journey through you know this work well, maybe the most important thing that I think I, I have lived is to, to be, a, I don't want to call myself like a leader, but a person that most of people in El Salvador trust on regarding the LGBTQ issues. And how I am very pleased to be a lesbian woman and to be that reference that I, ha that I hadn't had back in my days. I always want to think that some young girl that watch me on TV or that hears me in your podcast or that hears me in the radio, she would say, you know, she's out, she can manage, I can too. I haven't, I hadn't had that. And that's a more important value that I try to give to all these young girls out or inside the closet to be brave to, to make a good example of my work so they they can take charge of my jobs someday and I can retire happy ever after with my dearly wife. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. Uh, yes. Where did you meet your wife? Uh, I met her I met her at school. Mm -hmm. We were friends like for 10, seven years. She used to be with guys, only with guys. She was my best, very best friend. And someday, somehow, I don't know how, now we have, we're going to be 10 years on May that we are together Great. as a couple. Congratulations. And we met like 18 years ago. So oh. we have a bunch of stories to tell. But she was about to get married with a man. And I was very happy. I went with her to buy her bright dress and everything, but just one day she told me, you know, I think I've always been in love with you and I want to be with you and I don't want to get married with this guy. I'm just doing it because I've been like kind of punished by my family if I don't do it. So we decided that kind of to run away and we started a very good relation and, and we have like now 10 years. And we decided to get married, unofficial married, because we can get married in El Salvador, but we do a celebration. We did a celebration like two years and a half ago, and we are very happy, a very happy couple. We have four dogs that are, that are part of our family, and we are now planning to, to start to grow the family, thinking on children and all that, but being in El Salvador is kind of hard to think on it. We get married, we, we want to live the experience, even though we is not officially here, but you know, you don't know to get, you don't need to get official when you love someone. Sometimes I mean, we know that it's important, but it's also important to embrace your love 
And yeah, that's that. We started to date, and then we started to live together, and then it just passes 10 years, a lot of time. <laughs> and, and since she was one of my best friends in school, we don't have like way to cheat on us. We know you, we know each other very, very, very well. So we are very happy. We are like a very good, good friends that live together. That, that that share a lot of values together and we are a very happy couple and we are surrounded with wonderful friends mm -hmm. so we're very happy is, is she also involved with Espoulets? yeah she works with, with us but she was the first national director on sexual diversity in El Salvador okay. so I, I am very proud of her as you can tell and she's now working with rural women in a program a special program that El Salvador has that uh, for for just for women that calls Ciudad Mujer, which is in English, sounds real because it's women city or cities of women. I don't know how to translate. It's very tricky the, the translate. So she's always been a, a human rights defender, also as me was that was one of the things that that unite us and also our faith. So she's all, always still involved with 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 us with Smulas. She is my freelance uh, advisor. I don't have to pay her, <laughs> not money at least. So yeah, she's always very, very, very good to us. Uh, she's a psychologist, mm -hmm. so she's also dealing with all our health and uh, mental health care. So yeah, she's part of the team also. Fantastic. Yeah. Is, is there anything else I should know about either you or Esmulis? No, nothing that we are we are trying to to get bigger to be a reference in Central America about the LGBT work mm -hmm. and issues and rights, and uh, we 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 are starting to get bigger in an international picture, uh, and also maybe one of the things nobody knows is that Esmulas, for example, uh, was part of this lobby team that were at Geneva last year trying to get our first uh, uh, expert on LGBT issues in the Human Rights Council. So that's a big, big win for us. We are very proud to be part of the team and create a new, a new human rights mechanism that protect LGBT issues around the world. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrea. Check out our website, RadioFreakUtopia.org for links to Esmules, including its work with LGBTI seniors, online at www.adult-tez.org. I've also included a link to the report, Uniformed Injustice, State Violence Against LGBT People in El Salvador, published earlier this year by the Human Rights Institute at Georgetown Law School. I also want to thank Michael Lavers of, and the Washington Blade for their extensive reporting on the LGBTI community in El Salvador. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Radio Free Qtopia. That's Radio Free, the letter Q, Topia. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please take a moment to spread the word about Radio Free Qtopia and to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Truly, every reading will really help us reach more listeners, put our name, our face, our icon in front of uh, potential listeners, and to get the stories of these changemakers out to more and more people. 
please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash radiofreakutopia. Your support will allow me to keep making this podcast and to make to build the listener community and to overall make this a better and better experience and more accessible to more and more people. Finally, I want to offer my special thanks to everyone who helped me get Radio Freak Utopia up and running. My deepest thanks goes to everyone, the hundred donors to the original Indiegogo campaign, especially to the first major donors, David Arenstein and Darcy Mercero, Michael Tino, Joe Barrios, Jen Gilbert, Stephen Bennett and Mihai Patru, Tamia Buckingham, and thanks, Mom. Check back in two weeks for our next episode of Radio Free Utopia. Again, thanks for listening and spread the word.